Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Maximizing Your Treatment Planning with ClinCheck 3.0 with Dr. Clark Colville. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificates at the conclusion of Dr. Colville's presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor site account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you are able to listen to today's program via the webcast, as well as dialing in via telephone. At the end of Dr. Colville's presentation, those of you who have dialed in by phone will be able to ask both live and text questions, and those of you listening via the webcast may only ask questions via text. I apologize in advance if we're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today at AlignTechInstitute.com, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous ASCII Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It is now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. Clark Colville. Dr. Clark Colville earned a certificate and master's degree from the UT Houston Dental Branch Orthodontic Program in 1993, and he maintains a private practice in Seguin, Texas. He became an Invisalign provider in December of 1998 and was involved in the first clinical trials as an Alpha Group member. He is currently on the Invisalign Speakers Bureau, Clinical Advisory Board, and continues uh, ongoing clinical research. Dr. Colville resides on the AAO Council of Membership, Ethics, and Judicial Concerns, and Southwestern Society of Orthodontists, and is the past president of the Texas Association of Orthodontists. He is also an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Orthodontics at UT Houston. So without further ado, I'll turn over the program over to Clark Colville. Dr. Colville, you now have the floor. All right. Thank you, David. Um, I appreciate everyone listening in today to the webinar and taking time out on your Friday. Um, have a pretty busy schedule to go through, so I'm going to jump right in. Um, I'm going to start with the standard disclaimer, which uh, lets everyone know that the information I'm giving you today is developed from patients that I've seen in my practice and are my ideas. They're not the ideas of aligned technology. Uh, some of the things I say will probably be in lockstep with things that you would find on an Invisalign website. Uh, as standard protocols, some of the things will fall outside the realm of those. So uh, it's up to each user to use their own judgment whether or not you will follow this advice or not. Thank you for that. And uh, with that, we'll move forward. Um, when we talk about ClinCheck, and, and today that's primarily what we're going to talk about is, is how, to, how to deal with ClinChecks and, and some ways of using the new 3.0, some of the advanced tools that are in there, but also talking about how to achieve better outcomes. Um, the ClinCheck issues today are not any different from the ClinCheck issues that were here previous to 3.0, and that is we still have to deal with tooth alignment, we have to deal with interproximal contacts and IPR, we have to deal with the rate of tooth movements, which we call velocity, even though that's not a correct term for velocity, but it's become a, a standard that we call the, the how quickly the teeth are moving in each aligner velocity. And then we have to look at attachment design and force systems as a result of using those. Those issues that have been present prior to 3.0 are still issues that we are going to look at and discuss today. And they're still the main issues that need to be dealt with in every single clean check that is done. So what's new with 3.0? And, and for those of you who don't know, there have, has been a release of 3.1 that is kind of an upgrade. So if you don't have that release, you can go back into software support and say download ClinCheck, and it will 
take out the old 3.0 and it will load up 3.1 for you. So this is, uh, as of recently, become 3.1. Um, what's new with 3.0 is the was introduction of a new group of optimized attachments. To me, the biggest thing was is we now get to see some of the detailed information uh, provided in the ClinCheck that we were prior to this unable to see. And I'm going to show you some screens where those show up. But that probably was the most one of the most significant change besides the overall look and, and hopefully the usability of the program. Uh, the other thing that came about at the same time was the ability to have facilitated elastic wear, which is done through the ClinCheck software on a, on a specific screen. Um, as we look at what some of these specific screens are in the ClinCheck, we now have gone to a tab design, and this shows up on the right-hand side of your screen in ClinCheck. And uh, interestingly, as I go through a ClinCheck, I almost go through each one of these tabs, starting at the right and moving to the left, noticing that the far left tab at the top is the one that says changes. So as I review staging and then I review information and treatment, and then I move left over and look at the comments that were made by the technician that, that posted the ClinCheck for my review, the last tab is changes, and that's where we'll go in and hit that tab and look at the changes. But I will start routinely by pulling up a ClinCheck and looking directly at this staging tab first. And the, what shows up on here will be your staging, your attachments, which are the red arrows, and then had this particular ClinCheck had any IPR, it would have shown up with a yellow uh, yield sign with a number inside that, and we would look at that. And, you know, what I'm looking for here when I pull up this staging, first thing right off the bat is what we see in this screen, and that is we've got simultaneous tooth movement moving across the entire screen in both the upper and lower arch. And I'm wanting to see when the attachments are being placed, when are any being removed, and if there's any uh, IPR being done. But that gives you a quick overview of exactly what's shown up in the ClinCheck. So moving on from there, if you go to the left tab, the, the next tab immediately to the left, if you hit Treatment, you will see three different uh, sub-tabs or sub-headings show up, which are the Estimated Time, the Treatment tab, and the Movement Assessment. Under the treatment tab, this is where you will find now when torque is prescribed in either upper or lower anterior teeth. And if you hit that tab, you will see this aligner feature screen show up. And it will indicate with the blue lines that you see on teeth 7, 8, 9, and 10, it will indicate which stages have power ridges in them and therefore are having lingual root torque placed. Um, I blocked out number, it generally will say number one through whatever, and I blocked out the second number because those can vary or they can be all the same. You can have them on one tooth, you can have them on all four teeth, but this is now the screen where this will show up in 3.0. Prior to this, the torque used to show up on the staging editor itself, which was the prior screen we were looking at, and it would be a dark blue line overlaying the, the light blue line that was there. So it's a little bit of a change in terms of trying to determine how much torque you have in your anterior teeth. You really must go to this screen to determine that. Torque is prescribed at one degree per aligner um, in the initial ClinCheck setup that you get back. So you'll be able to know how much torque is being put into the anterior teeth by looking at the number of stages that are developed. So if you have 12 stages, then that's 12 degrees of torque. And that's beneficial information as you're comparing a SEF and thinking how much torque you want to put in anterior teeth versus 
what is actually shown in the ClinCheck itself. So there's, this is some valuable information to start with. The next subheading over is the movement assessment. And this, to me, was probably one of the biggest things that, that is, is going to be a great help as you're developing your ClinCheck because it gives you some known values for tooth movement that is being shown in the ClinCheck. And it can come in many different forms. The, if you scrolled, if one were to scroll up and look at the screen that's immediately above this, it shows this in a pictorial depiction where the assessment, under the assessment column, it says black, green, and blue. Those are designated much like ski slopes are, are done, where green is an easy movement, uh, blue is a more difficult movement, black is the most difficult movement. But Visually, you can say, okay, these teeth are difficult movements, but when you look at this chart, it gives you some specific hard numbers that you can then go back and think of as you're looking at your ClinCheck and say, wow, if I, if I didn't really appreciate that this tooth was that rotated, you know, do I have the right number of aligners that I'm comfortable with uh, for this particular case? So if you'll look down at where it says tooth number nine and you scroll across and you see that there's a value for rotation there that is 39 degrees, um, the default rate in the, in the ClinCheck is going to be two degrees per aligner if that's the rate determining tooth. And so this ClinCheck probably could have come back with as few as 20 aligners in it, but you look at it and you say, wow, that's, a, that's 40 degrees, almost 40 degrees of rotation. You know, do I want the tooth moving that quickly depending on is there any root movement? You know, do I want a specific attachment on it? But utilizing this screen I think is very important especially before you just jump in and start looking at the teeth moving on the ClinCheck to say, what are the real values that are happening? And not only do they give you individual tooth movement values, but you'll see uh, this screen show up a couple of times through the rest of our presentation where it will give you values for the amount of distalization for a whole quadrant. So again, that's probably valuable information for you to know in terms of, you know, do I need to wear elastics and how long and, and how many aligners would I like to do accordingly. Well, I think it's only fair to say that everybody does clean checks differently. Um, and so I think I need, if I'm going to talk about how I particularly do them, I'm just going to tell you, you know, here are the things that, that, that I want to see in an initial clean check setup. And so for me, I want to see simultaneous staging. That's all the teeth moving in each arch, upper and lower. That should be a standard default, but if it's not a standard default that you're getting in your clean checks, I would suggest that you write that note in uh, treatment directions on your case submissions, you can just put very succinctly, you can say simultaneous movement of teeth and it should be followed. But that's one of the key things that I would want to see in every single ClinCheck. Personally, I don't allow any IPR to be done by the technicians in the first setup. There are boxes along the way when you're filling out the, on the online form where you can opt into having IPR done. So regardless of whether that may be a movement that I specifically want or not, if it enables the technician to do IPR, then I will not check that box because I don't want the technicians doing any IPR. I want a, an initial ClinCheck setup to come back where there's no IPR done and I'm essentially seeing the teeth un unravel by expanding and proclining. And that's exactly what these next two lines talk about. If you're going to tell the technician that they can't do any IPR, then they have to resolve the crowding somehow. So therefore, my personal setups do allow minor expansion uh, in the posterior segments and, of course, proclination of the anterior teeth. That is round tripping, and for me, that's acceptable. 
Um, in terms of how we resolve AP, I'll do it one of two ways. Sometimes I will ask for a surgical shift. Sometimes I will ask for the simulated elastics movement. Um, there's kind of benefits to each of these. Um, one, of, one of the benefits of seeing the surgical shift done all at the last aligner allows you to, to visually see the amount of overjet that you would resolve in a class two elastic or, or class three elastic situation whereas the simulated elastics um, are more like the cartoon. They can just magically go from class two to class one or class three to class one, and it does it all at the same time, and you would have to understand that, that elastics or inter-arch forces are going to be required to make that work. I think the biggest thing that I see is have a plan and try to communicate that plan to the technician when you initially submit the case. In other words, it's not correct to just send in a couple of impressions and say, hey, let's see what we get back. That makes it very hard on the technician to try to read your mind and see uh, what you think is acceptable. And like I say, many doctors do different types of setups, and what's acceptable for me may not be acceptable for someone else, but the biggest thing is to communicate that to your technician. Well, what are some routine modifications that I would make if I had to... Had to uh, tell someone, okay, these are, are going to be very routine things that I do in every single ClinCheck, this would be it. The first thing is each arch is going to be assessed independently. What you see on the screen of a class 2 correcting to a class 1 or a, a class 3 correcting to a class 1, those can be manipulated by the technician and those aren't necessarily always based in reality. You know, the technician will do what you've asked them to do in the prescription form. So if you say make it full class one at the end, that's exactly what the technician is going to do. And that's not really an accurate assessment of what can be achieved in the mouth. So when I'm doing uh, ClinCheck uh, reviews and going to do the modifications, it's really a matter of looking at each arch independently. And then once you think that the, the movements in the upper arch are realistic, the movements in the lower arch are realistic, then you look back as a whole and say, okay, to achieve the amount of correction uh, in the sagittal direction that's going to be achieved, you know, what are we going to need to gain this? Are we going to need to add elastics or do we not need to do anything? But just the fact of sitting there watching the teeth go from class two to a class one really is of no benefit in a routine ClinCheck modification. One of the most common things that I will do and recommend is add aligner stages. I think uh, a big thing to understand is that the number of aligners that you get back in an upper arch or the number of aligners you get back in a lower arch is going to be based on a rate-determining tooth, and what you see in the initial ClinCheck you get back would be, could possibly be the minimum number of aligners that could be used to achieve the results shown in the ClinCheck. And that would be if everything else were perfect, if you had great tooth anatomy. Uh, and if you had the right attachments on the teeth and you didn't have compound significant movements that, that, that would be measured independently in the ClinCheck, but together they make a more difficult movement. But I would say look at the initial number of aligners that you get back as a good starting point and consider that a minimum. It's also the same thing I tell people. You know, the worst thing you could ever do is take a case that has 12 or 13 aligners and say, wow, if I could just send it back and have them cram this into 10 aligners, it could be an express. To me, that would be the, the opposite direction you would want to go and makes no sense at all because what you really want to do, if anything, is always add stages. Now, this is always within reason. To me, it's about 10 to 20% on a routine. So if I were going to do no other modification, 
then just simply add 10 to 20 percent aligners, and you do that by telling the technician exactly how many aligners you want. You know, go from 12 to 15, from 15 to 18, from 18 to 22. You know, I specifically say increase the number of aligners to this. You've probably done one of the most beneficial things you can do to increase the predictability of uh, the outcome. A big thing is make it look like braces would look. You know, the cartoon can show anything that the technician within the realm of what the defaults of the software are for the technician. And one of the things is they can move the roots significantly out of what I will call the trough of bone or the alveolus. And if you're seeing movements in a ClinCheck that you sit and say, wow, I've never seen this with braces on, then it's not what something that you would expect to work in the ClinCheck itself. So the idea is make it look like braces would look. And of course, I'm going to prescribe a lot of IPR in a modification because I didn't allow the technician to do any. And the reason for that is I think I'm the best one prepared to decide when, where, and how much IPR is going to be done based on the initial clin check that I looked at. You know, after I initially look at it, I'll say, wow, I, that's more proclination than I would like, a concept called therapeutic diagnosis. I'm going to say I need to reduce the proclination. I need to do X amount of IPR to achieve that. I'm going to do it in these locations at this time, and I communicate that to the technician. Um, I evaluate leveling of the arches. Probably uh, one of the things I think is uh, overlooked or not given a high priority by the technicians is the amount of arch leveling. And in my braces, I know that to resolve overjets correctly, um, leveling of the lower arch especially and the upper arch concurrent is an Im important in resolving the overjet. It's hard to resolve all of the overjet if you still have a lower curve of speed. So I do look at that in my ClinChecks. Well, a common thing that I look for are unnecessary root movements. And the way I do this is I pull up the patient's uh, pan before I look at the ClinCheck, just as if I were doing a tooth rebonding appointment, a braces rebonding appointment. And I say, okay, if I want to see any roots moving in this ClinCheck, the, the roots that I would want to see moving are these roots, and these, the, these are the directions that I would want to see them moving. And then I look at the ClinCheck as I'm going through very closely, and I say, you know, wow, here's a significant root movement that I said was unnecessary. So I go in in the modification and I tell the technician, you know, keep the vertical root alignment uh, the same as the original position and don't change it. And the reason these occur is because the technician is not looking at a panoramic x-ray and doesn't, and the software doesn't show the roots to the technician. They're lining up the crowns of the teeth. And so they're using crown anatomy, which we know isn't always uh, the best way to line up the roots. So they'll put in a, a, a movement based on crowns that is beautiful alignment, but it just causes unnecessary root movements, and root movements are going to be something that causes um, aligners to not fit accurately. It's probably the most difficult thing to do is to, is to move the roots significantly at all. And then we talked about keeping the roots in the alveolus. I'll go through that, but you'll see many, many times where the technicians will move the teeth bodily rather than uh, procline or recline the teeth around a central uh, point of reference in the middle of the roots, and I'll show that. Uh, certainly, I want to see class two correction principles. If I have to correct a class two, no matter how mild it is, I want to see basic things happen. I want to see molars rotate back around the palatal root being the, being the center of rotation as they distalize, I don't want to see the tooth just move back bodily. So there are certain things that I want to see. You know, I want to see upper molars not extruding. You know, if anything, I want to see an upper molar 
intrude or stay the same so that there can be some auto-rotation of the mandible. Um, those kind of issues are things that we look at for the class twos. And on attachments, it's, it's a pretty simple protocol. I'm going to keep every optimized attachment that I can possibly keep because they're, they're shown to have gone through the rigorous testing that they're absolutely required to produce the force on the tooth to create the movement that's shown in the ClinCheck. So I will never give up an optimized attachment. And if I have the ability to gain an optimized attachment by requesting a specific movement in a modification, I'm probably going to do that. Um, I'm typically going to add retention attachments and I'm going to remove unnecessary attachments. But these are things that I will do in each arch as we go through those. So with that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to show a couple of examples of uh, some of cases that were treated and the ClinCheck modifications that went into it. Um, obviously, for purposes of an example, I tried to pick some strange and unusual cases rather than just a basic two or three millimeters of crowding. So um, this is Roxanne who presented with an anterior crossbite. What you're seeing is her initial presentation in CO. She came in stating that she was ready to have surgery. She had seen two other orthodontists and they had told her that she needed to have surgery. Um, as she was younger, from teenage years on, now she presents to me looking like this, and as I looked in, um, looking at the molar relationship, I recognized that this probably was a dental class, uh, was a dental crossbite, not a, as much a skeletal crossbite. The component was probably bigger. And of course, moving from centric relation, from centric occlusion to centric relation, and then with mounted models, that became apparent when our first CR contact was on the anterior teeth. Um, I think you can see that in the lower right-hand corner. So what this really is, is a class one severe crowding in the upper arch with a little bit of a skeletal component. She does have a little bit of a lower arch asymmetry due to the, to the crossbite she's had her whole life. Um, so there is a skeletal component to this, but I, don't, I think it can be overcome with the aligners. So as I stated earlier, the idea is to have a plan. And the plan is, I think, the same thing we would do in fixed appliances. We're probably going to do as much IPR as we can on the lower arch and recline the anterior teeth. We're going to procline the upper anterior teeth as much as possible. We're going to use class three elastics. And then, of course, she had a posterior crossbite on the left-hand side of a single tooth that due to the lower arch asymmetry, I just didn't think was able to be corrected with aligners. So the idea is I'm going to tell the technician, don't correct that. You know, I, I don't think it can be done, so let's don't do that. So when I have a general plan in mind, the first thing I do is relate that plan the best I can uh, to the technician when I'm filling out the form. So I'll tell the, the technician, this is the way I see this being treated. And it doesn't have to be long and drawn out, but try to give them some ideas of what to do. In this particular case, I indicated that I would allow IPR in the lower five to five only to accomplish those goals. And then I also gave some limits on the amount of IPR. You know, you can do some IPR, but to me, these are going to be the upper limits. So I don't want them just going in and going crazy since I did give them permission to do the IPR. So with that being said, here's the first ClinCheck I got back. So not only did the technician decide that they would do IPR in the lower arch, but they'd probably go ahead and do some IPR in the upper arch while they're at it. And uh, it was probably warranted as we move along. I'll look and see that. But look very closely at the movement of the upper anterior teeth and the way the teeth are moved bodily forward. Um, look at the way the lower anterior teeth are translating bodily to the lingual. And ask yourself, is this the way these teeth would move if braces were put on these teeth? 
And my answer is I don't exactly think so. So what we have is, is an initial ClinCheck that's probably going to need some fairly significant modification for those reasons. When we look at it from the occlusal view, there were 31 aligners on the upper arch and 12 on the lower arch. And I can appreciate now by looking at this that probably we are going to have to do some significant IPR on the upper arch. Um, on the lower arch, you can see um, those movements with IPR done, I would say not uh, very symmetrically done and done at different times. So this is what we were presented with initially. So when I see things like this where I know we've got to make a pretty big swing at it, it's not just a minor modification here or there, I always think that a good thing to start with is tell the technician overall, you know, here's kind of the concept that I want you to look at and improve. And in this particular instance, it was how the anterior teeth were moving. You know, and, they, and the goal is, is I want to see those anterior teeth proclining out to the facial on the upper, and I want to see them reclining on the lower. I don't want to see these bodily movements that are, that are being shown in the current setup because they're not reality. There's no bone out there for the roots to move into. So as I say, one of the common things I'll say is you've got to keep the teeth in, keep the roots in the bone. And when you look at these from a, from a strictly occlusal view, I think you can appreciate how the, the significant amount of root movement that is being shown here, where what I'm looking for is a significant amount of crown movement and just tipping movement of these teeth. So as I say, I go back and I give the technician an overall view first. You know, make sure we do it this way. This is what I'm looking for. And then we'll go in and start addressing each arch individually, as I talked about earlier. So that's what was done here. When we look at the staging editor that I pulled up on this, and one of the things we see is we do have simultaneous tooth movement, but in the upper arch you can see that IPR is fairly sporadically done. That certainly doesn't co coincide with times when patient will be seated in the chair, and that creates a problem uh, for me in terms of clinical efficiency. So that's another one of the reasons that I prefer doctor-prescribed IPR because I can go in and say at appointment X when I know the patient is going to be coming in to get a new set of aligners, you know, I want the IPR to be done only at those times when the patient's going to come sit in the chair, not have them sporadically uh, show up all over the all over the chart so that it's very confusing for staff to, to keep up with when and where IPR needs to be done. Uh, when it's done at set times and you know it's going to coincide when the patient is going to sit in the chair, then it makes it not only easier for staff to be, to be prepared for those appointments, but also for us to follow the plan. So when I do that, I go back in and I will look at this, and it really is my best guess of when the teeth will be properly aligned to do the IPR. So these are the notes that I sent back to the technician, you know, at this specific aligner between these teeth, I want you to do this amount of IPR. So as I scroll through the IPR, I say, wow, it looks at aligner four when I know the patient will be in the chair. I know that we can do IPR in these locations. The teeth are well enough aligned to do that. And I'm very comfortable then that I'll be able to do the IPR um, not only very efficiently, but also I can, I can do it very predictably, the amounts that I want to achieve. So another issue that, that on this ClinCheck was I talked about unnecessary root movements. And this one is a little bit hard to detect, but this is a good example of that. If you look at tooth number four, the upper right second bicuspid, and if you look specifically at the gingival margin as this plays, you'll notice that there's a mesial root tip shown there. And the reason that was done is because the technician is lining up the marginal ridges of the crowns to make them fit well 
whereas a view of the panoramic x-ray would show that that movement's not necessary. So I will send a note back specifically under the comment of alignment, you know, don't do that type of movement. Just remove that, keep that vertical alignment as it was in its original position. So when we get our setup back, this is where you check and see how well a job did I do of guessing or estimating how well the teeth would be lined up. So if you can see at a liner four when the patient's going to be in the chair, I was guessing that these particular groups of teeth would be well enough lined up that I could do the IPR easily, and it does look like those teeth are well enough aligned to do it at that time. And then you move on down to a further time when the patient's going to be in the chair. Now these teeth are lined up well enough to do the IPR, so that would have been an appropriate time to do that. And then lastly, the very last teeth that I would have done IPR on would have been the cuspids because they're now moving into a position to where the surfaces are, are approximating correctly to where if I go in, I won't actually ledge the teeth inappropriately. So in my concept of when and where the IPR would have been done, it would have been posterior moving to anterior at times when patients would have been sitting in the office to do it. Um, in the lower arch, the teeth all appeared to be well aligned enough from the get-go that we could do it very early on and just go in. And then you can see that I more symmetrically uh, spread out the IPR that was being done across almost all areas. So that's a concept that I would like, uh, that I use almost routinely. So what I call this is the IPR disaster because the technician gave me back in the, in the setup that came back the amounts of IPR that I requested, but you can tell that they did them uh, not at the times that I requested. So you can see it looks like a, a shotgun was just blasted at the staging editor and there's IPR supposed to be done all over the place. This is extremely difficult for staff to keep up with and, and understand what's being done when and where and will the teeth be properly aligned. Even more interesting is the teeth that I thought should have been done IPR at the very latest are the teeth that the technician did at the very first. And so obviously that gives more reason that, that I like to control the IPR so it's done at a point when I'm very comfortable doing it, not when the technician thinks that it should be done. So I would move that all the way to the end if it were me. So the one thing that was done very well in this setup is they kept the vertical alignment of the upper right second molar great, but at the same time, in the second setup, they moved the, the upper right first premolar, look at the same position, and you'll notice that its root is doing the same thing that the second one was doing last time, and that is mesial root tip. So we went in and had to modify that again. So these are some of the subtle things that you look at, but they do make a difference between the aligner staying seated uh, well throughout treatment. So in staging, we increased from 31 to 34 aligners. That reduces the velocity of movement uh, per aligner by increasing stages. Same thing on the lower arch, going from 12 to 20. You can see at the times that the uh, yellow uh, yield signs show up around the teeth, you can see this would be the different times that all the IPR would have begun. And again, this was setup number two. So we make additional changes, and the one thing that I want to point out here is, is I don't routinely have to do a second modification. I'd say it's kind of unusual that I have to go in on a second modification, but this was a more difficult ClinCheck. But just notice in the underlying red areas all the times I'm talking about roots, and that's the significant thing is we really need to pay attention to what's going on with the roots because it really affects the predictability of the aligners. So you'll see all the times that roots are mentioned and talking about torque and root tip. Those are things that do affect the way the aligners fit. 
In the lower arts, we changed some attachment design and, of course, when and where the IPR was done. We ended up getting a third clean check done because there was still an issue with the root movement. So you can almost sense my frustration here, but this is about the most frustrated I'll become having to do a, a third modification, and that is all capital letters. It's like, you know, please pay attention to the roots. That's what I'm talking about. I really need, you know, root movement to be exactly what I prescribe it to be. Um, I think if you visit Costa Rica and see what a, a very difficult job it is doing these clean checks, you'll appreciate how, how good a job we really get on most of these clean checks. But occasionally you have to call their attention, and this is about it. Um, I will say something like that. So when the final clean check is approved, we end up with 34 aligners, and there's a total of 3.2 millimeters of IPR in the upper arch, a little bit more in the lower arch. This is one of those occasions where having the same number of upper and lower aligners really doesn't make a lot of sense because it, there's just not enough movement in the lower arch to justify it. Um, today we have the option uh, to have no movement stages. So when I was doing this ClinCheck, that was not an option, but that's certainly today one of the options that you have with ClinCheck 3.0. Because I'm wearing Class 3 elastics is you can have no movement aligners. You will get an aligner prescribed uh, each time that uh, a corresponding upper aligner is made, and there will be a no movement in that, and you can continue wearing your Class 3 elastics. These are the buckle views of the ClinCheck that was accepted. And the thing to notice on these is just look at the way that the anterior teeth are now proclining out rather than the bodily movement where the roots are moving out to areas where there's not bone. That's probably the most significant feature here. The other thing is this is the way the IPR is done, the way I like to see it done, and it's planned according to when the patient's going to visit the office. So at this particular time, which was uh, two to three years ago, this is the way I was scheduling out giving a patient four aligners at a time. The red arrows indicate every time a patient would have been sitting in the chair and we would be doing the IPR immediately before we give them the next aligner. So they come in at aligner three, we were putting attachments on and doing the IPR that needed to be done prior to giving them aligner four. If you move on up to aligner 23, the patient will be in the chair and we'll be doing the um, IPR immediately uh, before uh, we give them 24, and those are the cuspids, moving those way back into treatment. But there will be a total of nine office visits going through this. What happened is we wore class 3 elastics, and at this time we didn't have the precision cut interface that we have on the ClinCheck right now. Um, when you're modifying the ClinCheck now, you can click on a screen that, that will show your precision cuts, and you have the ability to prescribe these on certain teeth. So what you're seeing here. Um, you actually could not have done because I'm showing elastics on the lower cuspids to a tooth that has an optimized attachment and that's currently not allowed with the precision cuts. But it doesn't prevent you from making your own cut into the aligner and then wearing the class three elastics as, as we show in these pictures. Uh, but those can be prescribed through the current ClinCheck if you want the precision cuts or slits made into the teeth. A chart pulls up and you have the ability to do that. The other thing you can do is also have a cutout where you can bond a bracket on the tooth and you can wear the rubber band specifically to an elastic. Um, one thing I'll point out is the amount of IPR that we actually ended up doing is in the white letters above 3.95. What was prescribed was 3.4. Same thing on the bottom. We did less IPR than, than, than what was prescribed on the bottom, more than, than what was prescribed on the top, and we'll talk about that. 
So this is a screen that shows the treatment progression as the aligners and the elastics were being worn going from uh, top to bottom. You can see that the overjet is starting to be established. We go through the complete set of aligners and we get to the point to where we're sending off for case refinement. At this point, we have to do an assessment of, of what worked. And I think this is the first time to relate this back to your, to your ClinCheck and say, okay, what worked well and what didn't work well? Well, one of the things we can see is that the cuspids didn't come down all the way and you have to think what would be the cause of that. And the cause of that would be possibly lack of space. So if the upper anterior teeth did not express as much torque as was in the ClinCheck, then that's going to create a space problem not allowing the cuspids to fully erupt. So yes, we were trying to capture the cuspids and bring them down all the way and they just didn't follow exactly, but they came pretty close. So the resolution to this is we're going to need to ask for increased torque on the upper anterior teeth and probably need to do a little bit of IPR around these cuspids to bring them down. The funny thing is, as I was doing the excess IPR that was, that was shown in the last slide was primarily around those upper cuspids every single time that the patient came in, there was a tight contact in that area, and I had to go in with a hand strip and lighten it up about a tenth of a millimeter more. So that's where the excess IPR came from in this particular ClinCheck, but that's understanding that we probably weren't getting 100% of the torque and proclination that was shown of the upper anterior teeth, and this resulted in a perimeter problem that needed to be resolved each time the patient was in the chair by doing a little bit of additional IPR around those cuspids. So those were probably the most significant features that we saw. We certainly want to look at root alignment and make any changes at that point in the modification. These are the notes that I made uh, clinically when I sent off to have this done, adding the torque on the upper anterior teeth, extrude the cuspids, and then we did have a little bit of uh, space in the lower arch that needed to be resolved, and then arch leveling. So in the refinement ClinCheck, we end up with 14 aligners in the upper arch with 7 degrees additional of anterior torque. And then after the teeth are torqued, the optimized attachments come on for some extrusion of the anterior teeth, again, trying to level and extrude uh, to develop the overbite. The changes that we made are, are at this point, are specifically related to attachment design only. You know, very little had to be done to modify this ClinCheck. And what we're going to do here is we're going to give the patient two sets of aligners and we're going to change the aligners weekly. So I've got 14 aligners. I'm going to give aligner one through seven. And then that's when the torque is going to be completed. And then the optimized attachments go on at aligner eight, as you can see in the screen here. And then we'll deliver the remainder of the aligners. We're going to wear class three elastics concurrently. And what this requires is just two patient visits in the office. We're going to put all the attachments on at the first aligner, unlike we did when we delivered the initial aligners, because now the patient's very accustomed to a, attachments, and it's not going to be a surprise. So we'll get those attachments on very early. I've been changing uh, refinement aligners on a weekly basis for easily five or six years now, and it motivates the patients to move on in, in their treatment um, a lot quicker. Um, when they see that they get to change them weekly. And at this point, the movements are very defined with attachments on them. I've had very good success doing that. So here's where we end up in the final on this patient after wearing the, the refinement aligners. And we've got the cuspid, upper right cuspid down to where it's making contact with the second bicuspid. And on the right side, left side, we also have contact. Here's the changes from the initial position to the final position.
we still have a little bit to do to get the, the occlusion to seat, and that is do an occlusal adjustment of some marginal ridges on the anterior teeth, and then uh, with the retainers allow some settling of the posterior teeth to occur. So for a total treatment time of 22 months and 13 visits in the office, this is where we ended up. So the assessment on this is we probably had good, diagnose, good diagnosis. The key thing in the ClinCheck was to have realistic tooth movement, IPR that was scheduled, um, monitoring the interproximal contacts and doing additional IPR around those upper cuspids, adding additional torque because we probably didn't realize all the uh, proclination and torque in the initial setup was important, as well as the use of elastics, and then having a retention protocol. So those were all things that were important. From there, I'm going to look at another one that's kind of the opposite, and it's dealing with spacing, and we'll go through this one just a little bit quicker. Um, but this is a patient that com comes in, obviously the chief complaint is the gap in the front teeth. And when we look at the CEPH on the right-hand side of the screen, we can tell that um, reducing this, the proclination of the anterior teeth isn't, isn't something that's going to be done as we close the spaces. As we look at his smile, we notice that the um, upper t incisor display was poor. We probably want to, if anything, as we're leveling these arches, have some extrusion of the upper anterior teeth. So that's going to require leveling of the lower arch as much as we possibly can. That's probably going to be the, the challenge here. So the idea that we want to communicate to the technician is, is close all the spaces, develop an ideal overbite, and do that by extruding the upper teeth for more display, not at the expense of, the, of keeping the upper teeth the same and then we're going to have reclinations. Uh, we're going to recline the anterior teeth. So in the initial clin check we get back, we have 14 and 16 aligners respectively uh, in the upper arch and 16 in the lower arch. And this is what the staging editor would look like with the attachments going on uh, at aligner zero, which is the standard protocol I use now that we've gone to the optimized attachments. We'll see that routinely. If you'll pay attention to the lower right first molar, you'll notice that that tooth is not um, reducing torque as it moves in, but it's kind of a bodily movement. That's a significant issue, as well as the lower incisors. You know, I would rather see as those teeth come back that they recline back, not move back so bodily. And so those are some of the issues that we will look at. On the upper arch, as you're watching this, probably the most egregious error in the ClinCheck to me is the lack of attachments on the upper anterior teeth. I don't see how the movement of the upper left in lateral incisor is significantly different from the movement of the upper right lateral incisor. All of these teeth certainly are going to require some form of attachment, prefer preferably an optimized attachment for the amount of extrusion that's shown. But it's clear that the software didn't see this extrusion as a, as a pure extrusion, but more as a relative extrusion, so it didn't kick in and give the attachment. But we need to make modifications in the ClinCheck here to make sure that we get those changes in the, in the attachment. So the issues on this is attachment design number one, increasing the number of aligners number two, just to, to decrease the velocity of movement, keep the roots in bone. Probably going to do some additional IPR because of perceived black triangles and then keep the realistic tooth movement on the lower right first molar. So these are the type of changes we would request, attachment changes. And, and if you'll notice, almost all the changes, I specifically give them a header, and then I number the items that I want the technician to achieve. So it gives them either a bullet list or a drop-down list to go through as they modify the ClinChecks. That way, it'll be easy for me to check when the ClinChecks come back.
The final ClinCheck that accepted, we've increased to 20 aligners in both arches. So we went from 14 to 20, so that's probably about a 30% increase in the number of aligners, but that's where we're having the most significant movement. And also I wanted an increase in overjet because I felt that probably we were going to have heavy contacts on the anterior teeth, and so I didn't want to show the initial ClinCheck showing any contact at all, and we'll see what happens. The arch width and, and torque reduction of the lower right first molar has been achieved. Could have been possibly even been a little better in terms of reducing uh, the torque on that, but at least it was done what I consider to be in a realistic manner. So we go through the series of aligners and we see what aligners do for us almost 100% of the time, and that is give us a very good uh, consistent arch form. Uh, what you see in the ClinCheck, if you keep the roots in the bone, is what you're going to get in the mouth. So I think that was delivered very well. The spaces were closed, and the, the problem that I thought we would have is exactly one we have. We've got tight anterior contacts and we have an op open uh, posterior contacts. So those are things that we need to uh, put when we do our case refinement, uh, and we need further arch leveling to try to reduce that contact, and we do it by adding torque again in the upper. So add torque to the upper, correct some minor rotations, further level the lower arch. And again, assessing why the back teeth aren't coming in contact a lot of times has to do with leveling in the lower arch. So. These are the changes that were requested in the refinement ClinCheck. Um, so we make some minor changes in alignment in the lower arch. The most significant issue as you watch it play on the right-hand side of your screen is that we've got teeth that are extruding that have no attachments to cause that to happen. And so this movement will not occur without having attachments uh, that the aligners can grab hold of in an attempt to try to extrude those teeth. So in the refinement ClinCheck, we end up with nine aligners in both arches, and attachments have been added on those teeth, and again, we're going to change those weekly. So when the treatment's completed, this is where we end up, and things have improved, but we still have a little bit of posterior uh, bite closing that we need to take, uh, that we need to get done. So that requires a retention protocol. What I would have loved to have done is put a lower three to three retainer on, but that wasn't available to do. So um, what we, the patient wanted to wear um, clear aligners, so I left him with a lower full coverage Essex and I gave him an upper Essex that I cut four to four. And after three months of settling, we can see that that's allowed the posterior teeth to settle in as you look in in the top screen. You know, probably in another three months, it'll probably have finally settled in. And at that point, we'll go to a full coverage upper Essex and have him wear those at night only. So for this one, 13 months and 11 visits. And I think success on this one came from clearly making changes in the attachment designs. If we had not done that in the first ClinCheck, we, there's, I don't think there's any way these would have tracked effectively. Increasing the number of staging is something we see again. IPR to help us with the overjet, keeping roots in the bone, using a case refinement, and then retention management. So these are two cases that came out fairly well. Now I'm going to go through a couple of scenarios where the teeth didn't track exactly, and I think these are some of the most valuable ones to learn from because you have the opportunity to go back and look at a ClinCheck and say, okay, if I have one that didn't work, what things could I have done differently in the ClinCheck or what, 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 what was the reason that this particular ClinCheck didn't produce the results that I was looking for? So we have um, a patient that comes in that's a college student and uh, very typical of a South Texas 
uh, Hispanic female for what many would consider uh, kind of bimax protrusive, but yet very pleasing facial profile. Um, fairly good root alignment. No significant root movements need to be done. I'm going to treat this with non-extraction, do a, uh, quite a bit of IPR on both arches, and generally go from posterior to anterior would be the plan. The concept of therapeutic diagnosis, diagnosis lets us examine this plan and see if it really is a good plan for this patient. And when you use the superimposition tool, as you see on your left-hand screen, you can see by doing the IPR we've prescribed and then uh, aligning the teeth that we're actually going to reduce the proclination of the anterior teeth. Now, the fallacy in this uh, ClinCheck as we watch it play is that it shows no reciprocal uh, movement of the posterior teeth, in other words, no anchorage loss as a result of closing these spaces. The reality is, is that we're going to probably lose a small amount so that using, looking at the superimposition, while we're going to reduce the proclination, it's probably going to be somewhat less than, than is actually shown in the static screen. And the same thing is true on the upper arch. The static screen shows us no posterior movement by looking at the upper second molars. You can see that those teeth are still shaded blue completely and then the anterior teeth have retracted. Well, in the real world, as the anterior teeth retract, there's going to be some reciprocal loss on the posterior teeth. So where this is going to end up is probably going to be somewhere between the two. But this is a ClinCheck. We show more IPR uh, in the posterior first and then moving to the anterior. The staging editor would look like this, where we see IPR done in groups, you know, when the patient can be seen and that can be done. If you look at the far side of the screen, if anything, I was going to expect to do excess IPR, probably more than was required to be sure that those movements could occur. So as a result, I had in uh, stages of overcorrection or virtual C-chain. Not something that I use very often or prescribe, but we had the option if we had some spacing to deliver these additional liners and do that. So this patient was a college student. I sent her off with probably 10 to 15 aligners and with not knowing exactly when or where she would uh, be able to do these. I saw her probably after four or five, and then I gave her a group of aligners as she went off for a semester. And she called me, and she was having a problem with aligners breaking. And the aligners were breaking and cracking up in that upper right uh, lateral area. They were cracking from the occlusal surface on down probably in, the, in an area where the tooth that had the most significant rotation correction. So as you go back and look at the clip check, I have to assess what are some of the reasons that the aligner could be cracking. And some things come to mind. You know, first is the attachment design didn't allow very much aligner material to really get in and around on the mesial surface of that tooth. So I was anxious to get an attachment on there, but probably needed to have the aligner material contact the tooth better throughout would have may have helped. Increasing the staging is probably the number one most significant thing I could have done. Probably too much movement per aligner. Instead of 25 aligners, if I'd increased this to say 30 or possibly even 35 aligners and have a smaller amount of movement per aligner, that would probably be the number one issue would be not having uh, a, a slower movement of teeth, especially where the, the most difficult movements are occurring. The IPR, I wasn't able to see her on uh, regular visits every three or four or five aligners, so additional IPR may have been required because of tight contacts, and then the teeth quit moving, and as the patient tries to force the aligners up over the teeth, they start to crack. And then you have to consider unrealistic movement. You know, it, do I have that lateral moving the way where it would, would most easily correct? And I've got it rotating in position 
Whereas if I could have just pushed that out to the buckle first and then corrected some of the rotation, that may have made it better. But I see multiple things I could have done different to make this um, turn out better. So in the refinement clean check that was accepted, I made some changes. And one was to do the IPR immediately and do it much earlier, increase the number of stages so that there's a lower amount of movement per aligner, Try to go from, uh, we went from 14 to 22 aligners, so 14 was the minimum number that was given to me back in the clean check. I almost increased that 50%, thinking that that would probably significantly reduce the number of aligners. In addition, um, the IPR was spread out, and so I went in and did all the IPR initially with a hand strip, because most of them are two-tenths of a millimeter, and I wanted to just open up all the contacts prior to any movement being done. So we have simultaneous movement of teeth. And then the other change I made significantly in this is I considered this to be, even though it was a modification, I considered it to be something like a case refinement. And I started changing the aligners weekly so I could get back on track with her total treatment time. You know, I've already had her out, you know, probably almost one year into treatment, and I don't want to go another complete full year. So I went to uh, changing the aligners weekly in this particular instance. So I see her back 22 weeks later, and here's where we are. She was able to wear the complete set of aligners. This picture on the upper right-hand side, she's shifted her mandible a little to the right because her fit is a little bit better than that. So we're getting our two good arch forms, but we're still under-corrected on the upper lateral incisors. But uh, it seems to me the arch forms are coming out and the alignment is getting fairly well done. So when we send off for case refinement, lo and behold, we have ClinCheck 3.0, and we're given some additional information, and now I get to see what I was up against. I still have 23 degrees left of rotation correction on that tooth. So that tells me my initial correction was probably on the order of 30 to 40 degrees, which was a significant rotation on a tooth that has poor anatomy, and we needed to monitor the interproximal contacts. I probably should have been somewhere around 35, maybe even 40 aligners on the initial set of aligners. I think velocity was clearly the issue here, causing the aligners to crack. But now I know, again, when I'm doing a case refinement, I've still got a pretty significant rotation to correct. And again, that information comes from utilizing this movement assessment that now is given to us. So again, we get a chance to redo the clean check again, um, and we make additional changes. And this time, the change is doing overcorrection on just the upper laterals. I know they've been a known issue. We still don't have optimized attachments for upper lateral rotations, and it's still a tooth that doesn't have great anatomy. So we're going to go ahead and plan in overcorrection in this particular ClinCheck. So this is what that looks like. You get to a certain point, and then you see at the very end overcorrection aligners, presuming that we may or may not need to wear those, but at least we have them in the ClinCheck. And I get as significant an attachment on these teeth as I can possibly get from the outset. So hopefully this will be the last clean check. I'm expecting to see her back from college any day now, and I'll get to see uh, how we've done on this last series of aligners. Um, I've checked with her by email, and she says the aligners are fitting well. There doesn't seem to be any problem, but uh, we'll follow up on this later. But the important thing was using the clean check, looking back and assessing where you could have done things better or made changes so that the subsequent clean check gets you closer to where you need to get. And again, changing the aligners weekly kept us on track with the overall treatment timing of this. 
got one more I'm going to show you where we kind of did the same thing, um, where we have to do multiple clin checks. A little bit more, or I would say significantly more difficult case. We've got an adult female that's a subdivision class two on the right-hand side um, with the upper cuspids out of the arch. Um, certainly, we discussed the possibility of removing teeth as a way to do this, but uh, the patient wasn't comfortable and didn't really want to do that. And um, I agreed that we would try to treat this with aligners only and using class 2 elastics on the right-hand side. So this is what the initial malocclusion looked like. When we use the ClinCheck, we can use a couple of the tools in here to see what we're up against. Um, this was prior to the time that we had the movement assessment, which would have done this for me. But as we look back, we can use the superimposition tool and use the grid, and I can determine by putting the arrow and the, and the most prominent white line on the upper cusp tip of the um, upper right cuspid and seeing where it ends up that we've got about a four millimeter sagittal correction to correct. That's certainly well beyond the, the upper end of, of what's been reported in any of the literature to date on uh, distal movement of a segment. So I know we're, we're going to have a pretty significant challenge here. So in this particular instance, we make uh, ClinCheck modifications. And the thing that I'll point out is, is we still go through the same things every time. We talk about changes in alignment that we need to have done using our class two principles of having some distal rotation of the crowns as they go back. Uh, I ask them to, to add 10 to 15 degrees of distal rotation. Then we go to IPR, which needs to be done. And then we have staging, increase the number of aligners and attachments. So it's still the same four issues in each arch. It's alignment, staging, attachments, and IPR. And if you address those in each arch of the ClinCheck, your chances for success are going to be very good because you're not going to miss small things that can happen. So when the initial ClinCheck comes back, this is what it, what it looks like. We've got simultaneous movement of teeth. And the only way that movement is going to occur is going to be by wearing class two elastics throughout treatment. So she's going to have to wear a class 2 elastics in addition to the aligners uh, to try to effectively get this movement. You know, my feelings were that the left side of the arch would provide additional anchorage also as we're lining the teeth up. So this was the initial ClinCheck, and here we go to the end of the initial aligner stages. And, and we see another consistent theme here. We see that the upper right cuspid has not fully extruded to the position it went to. And again, if you think back, why would that happen? And it's going to happen probably because of two reasons. One, we didn't get all of the distal movement that we were trying to get. And two, we didn't get all of the torque that was expressed in the upper anterior teeth. Both of those things uh, combined probably would have caused um, a lack of perimeter in the upper arch, which means it's going to be difficult to extrude a tooth into that space because there, that space wasn't fully corrected. Now, we again, we're doing more IPR than was requested in the upper arch. It gave us our two good arch forms, which we consistently get, but we've only gotten a partial correction of the class two. So at this point, we go in and we redo the clean check in a case refinement, and we can see that we've got to get more distal movement and extrusion of the teeth. If you'll look very closely, though, at the pattern that I chose this time, I want to specifically do the movement different than what I did in the first time, and that is we're going to move the teeth segmentally. So we're going to start with the upper molars and by cuspids, then we're going to move the cuspid into position, and then we're going to move the centrals into position. 
And the reason for this is the patient's chief complaint was the upper right cuspid is what she's focusing on in treatment and wants to have that in. So I did the distalization first, segmental treatment movement, created a space, distal to the cuspid, and then as I move the cuspid in place, want to see a space mesial of the cuspid so that there's no obstruction for that tooth getting down into the arch and getting the arch alignment. And again, we'll support this with class two elastic. So what does this staging editor look like? If you look at this, this is segmental movement of teeth. And the first thing you'll notice is it causes you to have a pretty increase in the number of aligners. Had we done simultaneous movement of teeth, this would have uh, not required near as many aligners, but since we're segmental movement of teeth, we've got a segment of molars and premolars, then the cuspid moving into position, and then the anterior teeth following, and the full time we're supporting that with class two elastics. You know, we are going to change these aligners on a weekly schedule at this point. And we've got further information. I can still see what I'm up against. Now looking at the treat under the treatment tab movement assessment, I can see that we've got in this upper right quadrant a full two and a half millimeters still left to correct. So utilizing the information that we have given to us in the ClinCheck, you know, I, I kind of know what I'm up against. Certainly know that, that I'm again on the upper limits of what we can expect the aligners to do. And very likely I'll be doing a uh, case a second case refinement on this with some additional IPR on that upper right hand side where we'll hopefully get a full class one cuspid relationship and uh, probably have a less than perfect class one molar relationship on that right hand side when it's all done. But the point is this. I think if you go through and look at the failures in your clin checks and you see that, you know, when you didn't get something that came out the way you wanted it, there's now information provided in the clin checks that can help you understand why. And you can go back and look at these main areas and say, you know, did I have the right number of aligners? Was the velocity of movement faster than, than what the teeth could move? Did I not have an appropriate attachment on the tooth? Um, what things can I pick up from the old clin from the first clin check that will help me change and do something different in the second clin check? I still tell everyone never to expect 100% of what you see occur in a clin check. It's just not reality at this time that we've gone through every tooth in the arch and created an optimized attachment where we can even come close to expecting 100%. Therefore, a case refinement is routine and expected in every case that we do so that we can pick up on the little things that didn't quite get 100% and we can get those things corrected with a second uh, refinement or, or the first refinement or second set of aligners. Um, certainly, I think we need to take advantage of the new information that's provided. And then the, the next thing is I, th I think we should always make changes when failures occur. If, as I have seen when people ask me to look at ClinChecks, they send me a ClinCheck and say, you know, I don't understand why this didn't work, and I look down and I see, you know, the case sent out, and then I see a refinement and another refinement, and all they've done is just hit the accept button, and they've accepted three ClinChecks that look exactly the same with no changes between any of the three. There has to be some sort of a significant change done if you've had a failure in a ClinCheck. We need to change the number of aligners. We need to change the way the teeth are moving. Uh, some sort of change needs to be done, but certainly just accepting a ClinCheck without doing anything to it all is going to be doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. I'll reiterate one thing that I, that I always tell, especially new users, is that the ClinCheck that you get back initially is a good starting point. It's certainly not to be considered 
the clean check that's guaranteed to work um, or everything's going to treat to 100 percent. You know, the technician is, is given a task, which is very difficult, and they do a very good job of trying to give you what you request, but meeting the defaults of the software only. They're not looking at it like an orthodontist and saying, hey, I know this is a tooth movement that will work. What they do is move the teeth the best of their ability to a location that fits what the prescription prescribed, and if it falls within the, the defaults that are in the software, then they've done their job. That's the point that we take over and do further analysis and make changes so that it will be clinically very predictable. And I think the biggest thing is I can tell you now, which is a change for me as opposed to, to very early on in aligners, I think we don't have to give up and just put braces on teeth the minute something doesn't work. I think you've seen a couple of uh, semi-challenging cases for me where the option wasn't, oh, well, it didn't work, we have to put braces on. I think the, the thing now is, okay, I know ClinCheck and, and the aligners can do these movements. You know, what do I need to do to the ClinCheck in order to make these movements occur? You know, what changes do I need to make? And I don't think we need to give up. And I think doing simple things like once you've got two good arch forms established and the aligner fit is going to be very predictable, you know, changing aligners weekly in a case refinement is going to be very beneficial. I wanted to thank Dr. Caldwell for a great presentation. And we look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thank you very much.